And so the value of a distributor, I think, I believe, is not to take orders, right? The computer should take orders. The value of an account manager is not to take someone's order or even the branch manager or the counter personnel. I mean, really, the computer should be taking the order and then we as humans should be figuring out how do we add value to that process and or to that person? Where can we add value? But writing the parts down, implementing an order is not something that adds any value anymore. It's just something that we do because that's the way we've always done it. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you wanna use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Hey, welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey. This is episode 49. We are like just on the verge of hitting episode 50. And before we kind of kick off today, I just wanted to let you guys know that episode 50 was my goal. You know, when I started this podcast, my goal was to see if I could get to 50 episodes and in that process decide whether I liked what I was doing, if I enjoyed this process, um, how much time this process was taking, and if I could stick with it. And so here we are in episode 49. I have an awesome episode planned for number 50, so I'm confident that we're going to get there. And I wanted to do something a little bit different today, something that makes me nervous. And part of my personal 2021 growth goals is to do more things that make me nervous and kind of lean into being more uncomfortable. And so what we're going to do today, I have Denny Richards with us. He is the customer service manager for sprinklersupplystore.com. He's been on the show a couple times with me. And what I'm going to do is hand the mic over to Denny and I'm going to sit in the hot seat and I don't know the questions that Denny's going to ask me because I told him to come up with them. And I'm going to sit in the hot seat. Denny's going to ask me questions and we're going to see where this episode goes and just how uncomfortable I become and maybe how I can work through being uncomfortable. So, Denny, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. How's it going, Andy? Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm excited about this. I'm sweating already. So I... uh, I'm, I'm not going to ask you what kind of tree you would be if you were a tree, I promise. Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to start thinking about it just in case you ask right. me. We'll see how that goes. So, yeah, so I want to also just preface too that Denny's a musician. So Denny's used to being behind the mic. He plays bass um, as well as guitar, maybe a couple other instruments um, all over Traverse City, Northern Michigan. And so I think you're going to do great today, Denny. You're used to this. I I talk to people all the time and you don't seem to be as drunk as most of the people I talk to as a musician. <laughs> so I think we'll be fine. And that actually leads to my first question if you're ready to go. Okay, ready? Let's do this. So let's assume that you walk into a bar, say you come to one of my gigs and some guy just walks up to you and says, hey, buddy, what is it that you do for a living? Now, I know you wear a lot of different hats. So how do you how do you answer that question? Oh, man, that's like one of my kids friends asked me what's or ask asks one of my kids, what's your dad do? I think my kids are like, uh, he's kind of like plays with sprinklers and he he sells stuff online. Um, so it's a great question. And I'm kind of uh thinking in my head as I talk my way through this question, the first thing, this is the salesperson in me, I 
take a look or try to understand who is that person in the bar? From what frame of mind are they asking me so that when I come up with an answer, it can make sense to them? So let's just assume that person looks like they work in construction, right? Then I might really start with, yeah, I'm in the sprinkler supply business and the irrigation control business. And I would start with something that they can understand. And that might be all that, that it is. Um, but I would try to find something that they could identify with and then take it from there to being an entrepreneur. So there's a spectrum because depending on who that person is, I might start with, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I focus on the lawn and landscape industry, sprinklers, and e-commerce technology. Got it. That makes all kinds of sense. <laughs> I, I wondered how you would do that because I know you've got your hands in lots of different uh, pies, so to speak. So It is definitely right. a tough question. You know, when you do a lot of things, it would be so easy just to say, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm something that people, I'm a fireman, I'm a police officer, you know, the, the yeah. basics. <laughs> I think I normally just say I'm a customer service manager for an e-commerce company because that's the first thing that people relate to. Or if I say that I sell sprinklers, then they, they start asking me questions about their irrigation system right away. Yeah, so. exactly. Great question. <laughs> All right. So great. So I want to kind of like just plot this trajectory from uh, young Andy Humphrey all the way up to the uh, current sprinkler nerd. So, um, you know, I have three children and I know from having three kids, we're always checking in, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I think for a lot of us, there's some sort of like thing that becomes a constant after a while, the thing that you remember. So what was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Hmm. What was your initial ambition? Hmm. It was, uh, I'm not going to lie. It was, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Combined with, I don't really like school. Combined with, Ah. I'm, I guess I'm, it's not that I wasn't good at school, but I had to try really hard to be average to a a little bit above average in terms of the book work, tests, you know, the traditional school, um, schooling that we're all familiar with. And so Mm -hmm. all I knew is that I'm a creative person. So give me a project, give me something to do, give me something to produce and I can do it really, really well. I can think creatively. I can come up with options and that's the, that's what okay. I liked to do. And I always had a hard time, especially in college and even, even right after college, connecting those things together. Like how, how can I go build something? You know, my parents were teachers. I learned from teachers. My parents, uh, thankfully, allowed me to be curious and like to learn. So I love to learn. You could probably test this. I learn shit every single day, but not in the traditional yeah. like formats because I seek out stuff because I am just generally a curious dude. I, I could agree with that. I'm kind of surprised that you're saying that you didn't do all that well in school, but I can, I can see the connection though. I mean, it's a different skill set to, to be curious and learn things as opposed to be able to study and learn things. There's two separate skill sets. So yeah. And, and like a good example would be if you give me some directions, if they're written, I literally have a very hard time understanding written directions. I, I wow. just, I can't take the words on the page and then turn them into, you know, what I'm seeing in my mind to go, put something together, let's say. So I'm much better off if I just see the diagrams of the, of the Lego sets and then just build to that versus <laughs> like reading about it. I'm, I'm, I, I'm stuck. It's really challenging. So that reminds me of school. It's like the way school is. I just like struggled. That's interesting. So to kind of like uh, build on that, then something puts you on this 
path to becoming the notorious sprinkler nerd. So what would you say is one of the earliest things that drove you towards this industry and, uh, you know, where you're at today? I, I, I want to say I can specifically remember. So what I'm probably doing is remembering the memory of a memory of a memory, but I have this memory <laughs> of driving, okay. uh, working for Chapel Valley Landscape Company with my good friend, Paul Bassett. He's been on the show. Hopefully you guys meet him in the sprinkler nerd community, et cetera. And it was right when I had my first job. I was a landscape designer, which really meant CAD jockey. I was, you know, sort of in charge of building the CAD department for Chapel Valley Landscape Company. So I was taking hand-drawn landscape designs, converting them to CAD, and that's kind of what I was doing. And at the same time, I was riding around with Paul Bassett, learning about irrigation and doing some irrigation designs with him. And I remember this conversation we had as I was starting to connect the dots in my own head. And I, I asked very simple mm -hmm. questions like, what, what decides when the sprinklers come on? Right. Something like that. Yes. And he's like, well, because it's a timer, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at eight in the morning. And I'm like, you mean there's no sensors that, that know when the soil is wet or dry or when the plants need it? It just comes on because it's a timer. And he's like, yeah, man, it sounds crazy. It is crazy. And I remember having this conversation <laughs> with Paul and I just thought to myself, holy shit, like this is going to change. And the, the, the amount of change that this is going to have on the landscape industry is way bigger than just being a CAD jockey and a landscape designer. And so that yeah. one conversation basically started me on my path. And so I, I am proud to say like that I chose the irrigation industry. This is before e-commerce, before anything. I literally made that career pivot from saying I'm no longer in the landscape and design uh, field. I am now moving into the irrigation field. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> that was 2002. So 19 years ago. That was my next ago. question. 19 years ago. And, and, and you know, so then it history. just kind of like leads on itself. So then I'm in, choose to be in irrigation. Then I get into irrigation design, irrigation estimating. Then I start to learn more about sort of the technologies and I work for the local distributor doing their central control work, their quote unquote tech, irrigation tech type stuff. And then mm -hmm. just kind of kept on, kept on going, you know, and then sort of along the way learned e-commerce and then did both right. of those. And then those two things, you know, mashed up together. And then we have what I might call like the passion mashup, e-commerce and sprinklers mashed up together becomes sprinkler supply store, sprinkler nerd, and the stuff that I've done with baseline for the last 15 years. Right. And just to kind of plug the next episode, you've already told me that uh, you're going to start talking about some of those connections and those people that you've met up with and things like that. So I kind of try to avoid those questions a little bit because I wanted to make sure you save that for the next episode. But I know there are a lot of uh, really interesting people and a lot of things that happened along the way to get you where you're at. So I'll, I'll be actually oh. interested. Yeah. And that. just real uh, quick, like I'm a big believer and we talked about this briefly this morning. I didn't make up this term, but I'm a big believer that your net worth or your network is your net worth. And so I would say you're, you're a part of that because you hold down the fort for sprinkler supply store. You are like a valuable to me, like connection and person in my life. And so that's kind of what we're going to, to plant the seed for episode 50. I'm going to try to go through like 50 people that have helped me, you know, along nice. my path, um, in the industry, you know, just to, to lock in episode 50. Nice. Nice. That's going to be a fun one. I think I think I know there's a menagerie of people that'll be interested in hearing <laughs> that one. So we've talked a little bit about Andy. Let's, let's kind of 
talk about the persona of the sprinkler nerd for a moment here. So what? So so I'm I envision the sprinkler nerd as kind of this. I, I realize that you, this is not the graphic that you use, but it's kind of this this hero coming out in the in the world here, and trying to um, you know add some value and some you know dedication to the industry and help educate people a little bit. So I see that sprinkler nerd is a bit of a superhero. So what is the sprinkler nerd's legitimate superpower? <laughs> that is so great. Who who would have thought that? a nerd could be thought of as a superhero. I kind of like that. And you know what? Let's, let's use that. If you're listening to this and you're, you're a member of the sprinkler nerd community, let's just put that on. Let's wear that cape. Yes. We are the superheroes of the irrigation industry. I love that Denny. So let me get I'm a comic book guy. Question. So, <laughs> an old comic book guy anyway. So I, my first thought of a nerd is someone that gets like really obsessed about something. They become an expert about it. Like a nerd is just someone who gets really, really into something. Could be anything. Um, sure. And then as it relates to our industry, what's really ir- interesting about the irrigation industry is at first glance, it could just look like you're fitting pipe together, you're putting sprinklers in the ground, water's coming out. And then when you, the more you start to learn about it, the more you realize that that's just one, the, the hydraulic setup is really just one aspect that it gets really, really, you know, quote unquote nerdy. Because you're playing with plants, soil, water, you know, horticulture, hydraulics, electricity. You're actually playing with all of these variables that's freaking can be extremely complicated. Yet at first glance, just looks like a dude digging a ditch, putting in pipe and some sprinklers. And I think that to some extent, depending on what someone learns and what their network is like, that actually could be all that it is. But what we need to do is help those that just put pipe in the ground and put sprinklers together understand all the other variables so they can become like a quote unquote sprinkler nerd so they know why they're doing what they're doing. And they could answer a simple question like, how much water does this landscape need this week? And they they would probably look at you like deer in the headlights. I don't know. I just know I put four sprinklers on a zone and they're like two gallons per minute per head. And that's what I was taught. Yeah. But there's just a lot to it. So anyway, the sprinkler nerd to me is something that can put all those variables together to understand the full puzzle. So then what's the sprinkler nerd's kryptonite? Ooh. What is what is the uh, – and what steps do you, does the sprinkler nerd take to so, try so to remind me overcome of, it? Of kryptonite, <laughs> kryptonite is – In the, the sorry. story. <laughs> yeah. So kryptonite is the thing that came actually from the planet Krypton, and it's the thing that the bad guys use to try to weaken Superman – so uh, what would be the sprinkler nerd's weakness then? Is somebody trying to lower the price of something. So in order to be a good irrigator and put all the pieces together that's required to do the job right, it has it costs something. And so the kryptonite is like the competitor, the customer, the client, whatever it is, trying to lower the price on someone. And that basically kills, you know, the superhero's ability to be the superhero. Gotcha. Yeah, that's you know, we've had that conversation quite a few times, and I think you're right. It's it's never good to be the cheapest person. You've got to make sure you're adding value. And yeah, because you can't do, you can't actually be the superhero to do the job right if someone's hitting you with with uh, yes. price as the kryptonite. So, yeah, good answer. So, <laughs> so. Every superhero has to have a, an action figure 
So obviously, if we're going to do the sprinkler nerd action figure, you have to have the glasses and you have to have the blue plaid coat that you probably purchased from the trombone player from a ska band back in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) But what other two accessories are going to go in your uh, action figure kit? Hmm. A smartphone. Okay. So that's one of them. You got to have your smartphone, which seems inevitable, but you know, you got to have it and whatever tools you want that are on it. So you got to have your smartphone. Hmm. I have to have two, right? I asked for two. You, I'll let you do three if you, if you, <laughs> if you'd rather, but at least two, please. And then let's see, you got your smartphone and I'm trying to think of i uh, I'm trying to picture myself or someone in the field doing something. And what they might need, and, I, and I, my first thoughts are, are something, you know, very specific, like catch cans, you know, to put out on the landscape to, to test the DU of a system. Um, and that would be really nerdy. I mean, literally, if, if everybody listening here carried catch cans on their truck, holy shit, we'd be totally nerds. Um, so maybe I we should put that one out there. Yeah. If you want to know what you're doing, you got you to thing- carry catch cans, <laughs> even though I've used right. them, but I'm no expert, <laughs> but maybe I should learn how to be a better nerd and uh, carry my catch cans. You have to have that thing in the, where they open up the package. You're like, I don't know what in the hell this thing even is. <laughs> right. So, and then the third one is a, a physical or virtual or digital Rolodex. You got to know who you can call when you get into whatever situation you're going to get in. So a true sprinkler jumps in, addresses the situation and realizes that if they don't know, they know who knows. So that would be the third, maybe even the second is, is your connections, your network. So, you know, you can take on any project if you choose to, not that you have to, but any project that you choose to take on, you can take it on because you got a network of people there to help you out. That's perfect. I'm not buying that action figure for my kids, but that's that's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, a, a Rolodex, you know, that's the other. A Rolodex. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great. So I, I want to address, uh, a lot of people may not know this about Andy, but if you kind of check out his uh, credentials, you'll see that Andy was on Shark Tank at one point in time. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and Andy doesn't talk a whole lot about Shark Tank, but if you catch him at the right time, you can kind of get a little bit of backstory. And I, I, I want to just make a statement here before I, I really ask the specific question, but the person you and you can YouTube this if you want to find Andy and, and see what he looks like on Shark Tank. No one can hear this, Danny. Shh, shh, shh. Um, <laughs> let me explain. Let me explain why. So the person that you see in that video is not the Andy Humphrey that I know, and I've worked for Andy for eight years. So I and he and I have pretty much been the office people for the last year and a half since COVID hit. So I feel like I know Andy pretty d- damn well. And that's not Andy in that video. Parts of it are Andy. It looks like Andy. Some of it sounds like Andy, but most of it's not really Andy. So I would just wondering if you might want to address that a little bit <laughs> and say, share as much or as little yeah, as you want about absolutely. your experience on and, Shark Tank. And if you want to know more about my story, feel free to just like, you know, send me an email. I'll be happy to get on a Zoom call with you, chat with you. Or if you've got a product you want to bring to market and you watch Shark Tank and you want to... Um, some advice on what to do with it. I'm happy to connect with you or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. So Shark Tank was, I'm trying to think about this, pre, just barely pre-Sprinkler Supply Store. So it was it was recorded in 2010. And at that point I was four, 
basically five years into my e-commerce journey. So I had built supertwinkle.com and treekeeperbag.com. And then I had built the ecomowers.com website because I came across the old fashioned push lawn mower. It was really gaining in popularity. And then in my nerdy way, I realized that no one had like built a brand around it. And so I built ecomowers.com as a retailer and was selling, you know, a shitload of push reel lawnmowers. Shark Tank comes out. I'm watching it. And I start to think to myself, how do I get on this show? I come across an email address. I send an email, basically my pitch. I don't hear anything for like nine months, maybe six months, something like that. And then one random Tuesday night at nine o'clock at night while I was traveling on the East Coast, I got this random phone call from a California number. Didn't take it because why would I take a random call from California that I don't recognize? Listened to the message and it was someone from Shark Tank. And I, like, <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. Holy shit, I just got a call from, you know, they said the producers of Shark Tank. So kind of after that, it was a quick interview, interview, interview. Let's get you to the next step. I'll introduce you to the producer. And you have to keep pitching. And I don't know what they're actually listening for on the back end. But one thing led to another. And I was accepted to go pitch on Shark Tank, which is considered a game show. So keep that in mind. Shark Tank is a game show for legal purposes. And mm -hmm. I remember them telling me that because when we were in the hotel, you know, all of us uh, who are considered, who were considered contestants, and it could be different today, but this is what it was like for season two. We were all considered contestants and we all got money, cash. I don't remember how much, let's say it was 200 bucks for spending money. Everyone got the same amount of money and they couldn't pay for anybody's set. So they couldn't contribute to, to my set and the grass or someone else's set and want, what they wanted to bring on the show because everyone had to have like equal opportunity because it was a game show you know there would be no advantage uh -huh. for paying for my set not someone else's so that's my recollection of the game show but then after that i mean the cool thing is that it gave me an under the hood or backstage look at i don't know if you don't want to call it hollywood but television and it is pretty darn amazing how well they can produce a show like shark tank that can provide so much entertainment to an audience yet they don't have you know paid actors or actresses you know on payroll or, or however you consider actors to be paid because it's real life contestants and so I think that's the beauty of reality television is they're not paying me or any of the other quote-unquote contestants I have no idea what the obligations are for the actual sharks um, I don't think they're paid they probably maybe they pay to be there <laughs> who knows possibly um, and so it was a great behind the scenes look at television. And what I remember the most is feeling like my first pitch, like when I first ran through my pitch with them on the phone, all the way up to actually presenting on television had been, you know, it, it had become a modified pitch. So what would happen is I'd pitch to the producers on the phone They'd listen, they'd provide me feedback. They'd say, hey, we want to do this again in two days. Work on these things, let's hear it again. And then you do that enough times that the pitch starts to evolve. And what I felt like looking back even at that time was that the pitch moved from being my pitch to being the pitch that they wanted, even though it was still my pitch, they had given me enough feedback yeah. that the feedback had transitioned into their pitch. And it wasn't a bad pitch. It was just that the pitch became more about the product, more about the mower than about the intellectual property or my initial sort of uh, 
goal with Ecomowers was to build intellectual property. And I was not hoping to get rich selling a push lawnmower. What I really wanted to do was build the um, electric and high efficiency, you know, uh, mower space, trimmer space, garden, garden tool space, because it was uh -huh. all gas run and it, you know, it still is, but we're seeing great movements in battery technology. And so I thought a brand name like eco mower would be the best label you could put on a lawnmower. And I still think it's great. And if anybody's listening to this and they want to license it from me, I would love to work with you. <laughs> Frankly, don't know what to do with it at this point. And that was, that was it. But what was, what they focused on was much more of the physical product and, you know, essentially making fun of who wants to push a lawnmower. And, and I don't disagree. It is not for everyone. Like absolutely. But I also, that wasn't the point <laughs> per se, right? but that's where the focus became on television. So if you're wondering, I didn't get a deal and they made a shitload of fun at me, which is fine. Gave me thick skin. I'm actually probably a better person because of it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the best part is when it was over, we went back to, I went back to my dressing room and then they brought in a psychologist. Well, really? Yeah. Like to, to, um, like vet me out to make sure I was like, okay, I was feeling all right. <laughs> they wanted to make sure you were going to go back in and kick Jeff or jump Fox off a bridge ass. on the way home or something. <laughs> right. And I don't know if I can, I'm not, I don't know what I can and can't say anymore. It's been so long. So I hope I didn't say anything that they told me not to say, but it was a great experience. It's awesome. Television's highly entertaining. I also think those sharks get more deals per hour than they show on the show. So of course, it's, again, it's awesome, entertaining television. I, well, and it's a point of interest for people. It's a fun thing to put on, but you know, knowing all the things that you've accomplished to me, it's, it's pretty my, minor in the grand scheme of things, but certainly it draws people's attention. So, yeah. And I, um, you know, and I would say too, if, um, if someone were coming to me for an investment and I've heard other people say this, you, you, you invest in the product or the business, but even more so you invest in the people and the person, you know, behind the business, yeah. because five people could have the same idea, which one of those five is going to bring it, bring it home, bring it to fruition. And, and that's really, you know, not a part of shark tank because that's a deeper thought. It's harder to hold an audience talking about that sort of thing versus a product that's really tangible and somebody can clearly understand. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, I mean, it's entertainment. Yeah. So, so that's the story. And if you, I, you know, I like telling it. It's, Here you go. Um, yeah. It was a great time. I've gotten bits and pieces of it, but I don't think I ever got <laughs> the whole story. So we'll, we'll keep dragging more out of you. So we're going to go into kind of what I'm going to call the lightning round. So since we kind of just had like a long drawn out question, I'm just going to ask you some questions that you can just kind of answer as quickly. I mean, you can elaborate as much as you want, but as quickly as you want as well. So the first question is, what are you doing when you're at your best? What would you find yourself doing if you felt like you were at your best? When I'm at my best, I am building, creating, building and creating something. So it doesn't matter what it is. I feel like I'm really good at, at building something, looking at it, making a change, making a change, like perfecting it, building it, doing something that's, that's creative. Um, yeah. Or I should say that, or solving a problem. Um, I like it when someone tosses a problem at me and I work through it. So I think problem solving as well. 
you're always one of the people when I even in band things because you have that business mind and that problem solving. I'm always saying like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm I've actually we're trying to implement some uh, one of your recent ideas. Uh, I'm not going to share it because it's a secret, but <laughs> down the line. So <laughs> cool. <laughs> what are you doing when you find yourself at your worst? What would you find yourself doing? Oh man, I uh, don't like uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. So I let's see. Yeah, I don't I don't do well in uncomfortable situations. So that's something that I need to learn how to be better at. And again, it's for no specific reason, right? It's just something that gives me anxiety. Telling somebody sure. bad news, uh, you know, whatever those tough and comfortable situation conversations, I it, I may look like I'm fine. I just don't like them. Um, right. And I and I try and I try to steer the other way or problem solve my way so that I don't have to deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a coping mechanism. Yeah, basically. So I'm sure people ask you all the time what the best advice is you've ever gotten, but I want to know what the worst advice was that you've ever gotten. What's the worst advice that anybody ever gave you? The, The worst advice is like, you just need to work harder. Like telling someone they have to work harder or work hard or keep like, it's not really good advice because working hard doesn't get you anywhere unless you're working hard at something that you really enjoy that has opportunity just working hard for the sake of working hard is a zero gain situation. I'm a much more believer at working smart and, you know, working efficiently. And I think we can get those things mixed up. Are you working efficiently? Or are you working hard and or, or working at your best level, your best effort, things like that. But I, I'm really not a fan of the just work hard. I would agree with that. You know, mentality. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, fuck, Denny. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shit. So it's easy to roll. Yeah, right. I, I, I have to go with your first one. I'm, I'm in agreement. So. You're a motherfucker. I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is not meant for kids. We're getting into it today. Yeah, right. Then maybe we'll see if that that gets into the podcast. So anybody who's ever been in our office will see this refrigerator from 1946 with 5 million craft beer uh, uh, stickers all over it, magnets from Andy's travels. Andy is pretty notorious for bringing a stack of stickers home every time he goes to a new town or sometimes to the same town that he's already been to. Name three of those craft beers that you've had that, were your favorites. Oh shit, Danny. There you go. There's my word again. <laughs> I, I could have just left out that question. I, I can, I can like tell you the color of the sticker. I can picture it on the fridge. Sure. <laughs> well, I can tell you that there's about uh, 1,256 unique ones, something like that. So you had to pick three of those. And, and you know, what's interesting is I, you can't go to a lot of breweries if you literally drink even a full pint of beer, right? If you go to four, four breweries and you drink two pints at each brewery, you're, you're done and it's just not a good experience. And so I've just started to like have a half, a half pint. And sometimes people that know me call me half draft Humphrey because I just like a half, just a small pour. Go there, mm-hmm. you know, check out the place, have a half draft, get a sticker. And then that is kind of like the game. Um, Man, I don't think I'm going to be able to name many because I, I can remember some breweries, but not the names of the beers. But I can tell you that I typically what, what I drink and what I don't drink. I, okay. tip, I, I typically don't drink 
um, uh, dark beers, uh, with the exception of porters. Okay. I do like a porter, but it has a, it's dark in color, but it's not dark in you know body. And so right. I typically drink uh, pale ales, um, IPAs that aren't heavy. Um, I like a lighter bodied um, IPA. And then I do like Hefeweizens. And I'm um, nice. getting a little bit more into sours just because the it's different on the palate, um, especially if you're having, you know, a couple small pours. I think a good palate changer is having a sour because they're so different. I've always struggled with sours. I'm, I am a dark beer guy, but, man, I just have a hard time with the sours. I try. I like to keep tasting. Like we, go, we go to a lot of the same places. I like to keep tasting to make sure that I'm trying everything, but I struggle with those sours, but, but I can see that I'll have to keep working at it. Andy told <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. If I you haven't tried a sour, you know, try, try a sour. You're good. Do you remember the show MacGyver at all? Mac- yeah. But I was a little bit young, you know, I'm only yeah. 41. I think I have to ask my wife, right. am I 41 or 42? Maybe I'm 42. <laughs> so Mac- I think I'm 42. MacGyver, <laughs> right. So MacGyver is that guy that would have built like a catapult out of like, yeah, whatever parts he found around or whatever. I just want to know what your best MacGyver moment was. Oh, dang. Well, I, I have a great, um, MacGyver moment that's kind of like a troubleshooting moment that stands out uh, that I'll share okay. just because it's on my mind and it's kind of similar. I was uh, at Hudson Yards, which is in New York City, either last summer. I, it, time escapes me now because of COVID. It's like that whole year disappeared. It may have been winter of 2019 because 20 didn't really exist. <laughs> and I was doing a demo for some baseline software with the grounds manager at, up in Hudson Yards, up in their office. And I was looking to plug my computer into, they had a giant flat screen, you know, monitor. Mm-hmm. And I asked them for their HDMI cable and, you know, plug the HDMI cable into my laptop. I had to have an adapter because I carry a MacBook. And so I had a, like a USB-C to HDMI adapter. Anyway, there you go. That's the, that's my nerdism coming out. <laughs> and, and I was going to do this training, this demo, and I plugged in and just nothing's happening. We can't get my laptop to, you know, push the screen up to the monitor. And I'm thinking about it and I'm just looking down like, God, this HDMI cable they gave me looks really freaking long. It's like all spooled up, you know, with a, with a tie around Mm -hmm. it. And then it's running from the monitor to my computer. And I just thought to myself, man, I, I think we're getting signal loss. There's no way, like, I, I think that this cable is too long that my laptop isn't putting enough power out to send the signal from my laptop up to the, to the screen. I said, does anybody else have another HDMI cable? It took a few minutes, went to another office, got a cable, brought it out. We plugged it in and it was like money. It was like, boom, it's working. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. holy shit. I had no idea. I just like, that was my last, there's no other reason. I just, this cable is too long. And it was, so it's not really MacGyver, but it was just like on the spot troubleshooting tech that I knew very little about, but put the pieces together to figure it out. Well, that's better than like connecting like 14 slip fixes and trying to hook up a, <laughs> yeah. like a backflow or something, I suppose. <laughs> we've, we've seen those pictures on the internet. So if someone were to give you a billboard this afternoon and you could do whatever you wanted with it, what would you do with it? Ooh, I'd probably, uh, I'd, I'd want to put an inspirational quote on there you know, something to just make someone think. I really, I really think that humans need to think more, you know, get out of our phones, get out of our, like, just 
create more more thought. So I would probably put an inspirational uh, quote on there that crosses all, you know, race, gender, religion, stereotype that's non-specific to any of those, just some inspirational quote on there. Nice. <laughs> I like that. All right. Those were a lot, most of my personal questions. I have kind of two more questions just about the industry that I thought we might just clean up with here. So perfect. I'm I'm, one, I'm not sweating as much anymore. I'm getting comfortable with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what technological or social changes do you think have happened in the irrigation industry? Maybe in the last maybe five to ten years that are, the current irrigation professionals are missing out on. Yeah. So this is a good question. There's some. Some of it's not that easy to implement yet. So, you know, for instance, soil moisture sensors, they've been around for a long time. And even like what we're doing uh, at baseline can be implemented, but it's currently not for every site because of the price point entry. You really need to be in that commercial institutional type scenario. But I think mm -hmm. that if a contractor can understand how, and this I'm trying to be very specific and, and simple, if they can understand how a soil moisture sensor affects your runtime, uh, your start time and your day of the week, they will understand so much about how to water, how to water a landscape just by thinking about how does that soil moisture sensor affect my runtime, start time and day of the week, because we still need runtimes, start times and days of the week. We don't live in a world where the sprinklers can just come on whenever they want, unless we're on like a rooftop or it's subsurface drip. But anytime you have uh, above ground irrigation, there has to be some type of a container, a time container, the, either the water window or some or the start time, and then it has to has to water for a period of time to apply the water, and so that is one of the biggest hurdles I see is understanding either soil moisture sensor or T ET based weather, but how that affects your runtime, start time, and day of the week. It, it brings me back to the first question about being a nerd. You got to understand a little bit about all that, all those variables, all that shit, because really all the customer wants to know is the runtime, start time, day of the week. And so how does that, right. that automation technology affect runtime, start time, day of the week? And then after that, uh, I think that the networking is, is changing and there's going to be mm -hmm. Um, a next level of education that's required by contractors to understand consumers' networks, whether that's from the homeowner side or the municipal side, the commercial side, the university side. If, if we say to ourselves, all irrigation controllers will be networked, damn, I guess we all better learn how networks work. Yeah. And that's not something irrigation contractors are asking themselves today, most of them. The ones that are ahead and that are paying attention are, but the rest of them, you know, either run away for it, don't want to believe it, or, or just simply don't know what to do. Right. So what do you think is coming down the, the pike that people need to kind of keep their antenna up and kind of watch for and see like maybe some budding technology? I know you've got your finger on the pulse of some of that yeah, stuff. You have a lot of friends it, in the industry. You know, we're, we've seen, uh, I think there's two fundamental changes that we've seen two two big ones you know one is the the question of or the change in what people are buying the physical products are sprinklers changing not so much the mp rotator and high efficiency nozzles and such made a change smart controllers is making a change and that's all like the physical products that's what people buy i also think and i actually believe more that this change is bigger is the is the how they buy 
is changing more and faster than what they buy. So how they buy means e-commerce from their phone. Is it direct to consumer? Are the parts ordered online, shipped to the site, you roll up and you put them in? That whole process and everything in between on how people buy, I think is the, we're already in it, but it's the next big change. And I think that with that, we're seeing a shift in value because the value in industry used to come manufacturer, distributor. That's where contractors got their information. That's where they learned. That's where they went to, you know, irrigation university. It was through their local supplier. And the mm -hmm. value that suppliers are providing is changing because now that information is readily accessible on the internet. You can go to YouTube and learn anything in the world that you want. And if not YouTube, there's plenty of other places where you can actually learn that stuff. And so the value of a distributor, I think, I believe, is not to take orders, right? The computer should take orders. The value of an account yeah. manager is not to take someone's order or even the branch manager or the counter personnel. I mean, really, the computer should be taking the order. And then we as humans should be figuring out how do we add value to that process and or to that person? Where can we add value? But writing the parts down, implementing an order is not something that adds any value anymore. It's just something that we do because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah, I can see that. I think when, when we started here, a lot more people were calling to place orders. Um, as people get more confident with that and, and their understanding is better, we spend more time answering questions and you know dealing with product issues and things like that, uh, order things. So yeah, I think that as people get more comfortable with the concept of just placing the order and, and having that information at their fingertips, then we have to change the way that we approach. Yeah. Those and, and, then, and then the one thing I didn't mention, which has nothing to do with the, what people buy or how they buy, but I think that as, as a profession, we're missing out on what we're really doing, which is we should be working within a water budget. So every, every irrigation system, every landscape, you can calculate what is the calculated water budget of this site. Let's just pick a number. Let's say it's 100,000 gallons for the month of July. We should be irrigating to the water budget. And that right now is not a part of the conversation. So I think that fundamental mm -hmm. change, which will affect products and it will affect management and how we do it, that's what's coming down the pipeline. We need to be asking ourselves, what's the water budget for this site? Hmm, never heard of a water budget. How do I figure that out? Well, let's talk about that. And then once we know what the water budget is, that becomes the goal. This system can only use this much water. How are we going to do it? Well, we better schedule correctly. Well, what if we're in a drier year? Hmm, I guess we better prioritize our zones. I guess we better know which are the zones that, if in a drought, stay on, and which are the zones that, if in a drought, really don't matter, we'll turn them off, yeah. and we need to be sort of having that conversation. Nice. All right. Which one could be a question. whole other podcast oh. episode, which <laughs> I totally think we'll have to have one on, on uh, water budget. It probably will. It will be now, I'm sure. Number <laughs> 57, I'm calling it right now. Okay. So last question. Andy Humphrey is, it's 300 years in the future. Andy Humphrey's been gone. Somebody walks into a cemetery and sees your headstone. What would you like to see printed on that headstone? Oh, my God. That's like a question that you want to have the right answer to. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, probably something like, Andy Humphrey influenced change. I like that. Great. Well, that's the end of my questions. This was this was a hot seat. So I was and still am, you know, a little bit anxious. Nice. <laughs>
You don't get um, to do that to your boss very often on purpose. So that's with permission. So that's great. Right. Maybe so um, <laughs> everyone listening should go put their boss in the hot seat, just like we're doing here and have the conversation, you know, over the water cooler or at lunch or something. Get my advice is get permission first. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're the boss, maybe you should just go ask and set it up. Cool. Well, Danny, thank yes. you for, for doing that. And, um, yeah. guys appreciate everyone who's been listening. This was episode 49. And as I mentioned in the beginning, my goal is to get to 50 and I didn't know if it was going to even happen or not. I just sort of set that imaginary target. We'll talk more about it on episode 50, but I'm feeling it. It's real. It's coming up in a week from, from when this episode 49 is going to air. And I appreciate everybody who's been listening and telling their friends and then, also joining us on the Sprinkler Nerd uh, private community on Facebook. And if you're not aware of that, please visit Sprinkler Nerd community on Facebook. We've got three simple questions to answer. We want to make sure that it's vetted, that it's only green industry professionals um, that are in the community so that we can all uh, work together, as we kind of said before, to build our network because our net work will become our net worth. And we'd like to have a place for all of us to hang out and share and be a safe environment. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Denny, for asking those great questions. And until the next episode, happy sprinkling. We'll talk to you then.